Good morning. It's good to see all of you here this morning. I want to tell you a story. When I was 17 years old, just out of high school, between, between graduating high school and heading off to the Marine Corps, I got a summer job lumping trucks. Now, if you don't know what it, what it means to be a lumper of trucks, let me explain it to you. You go into the tractor, the trailers that the tractors bring, and you, you offload all of the boxes from that so that they can store them in a warehouse. I worked for Cisco. Um, I did this with one of my best friends. Uh, he and I got a job at the same time. Uh, when we arrived on our first day, the guys that were kind of over all of the lumpers for Cisco at the time uh, found out that he couldn't stick his tongue out because he had one of the, the thing at the bottom that keeps you from being able to stick your tongue out all the way. His was too far up. Uh, so they took to the summer calling him lipless. Uh, I don't know why they thought that not being able to stick your tongue out made you lipless, but they called him lipless uh, for the entire summer that we were there. So me and lipless were working at Cisco. I hadn't called him lipless in a long time. I'm going to have to call him this week just to call him lipless. Um, so, so, so lipless and me, we're working at Cisco and we're unloading these trucks and there's lots of heavy equipment and lots of different types of boxes and sizes of things because this is a, a restaurant supply company, Cisco, that we work for. And so we, we all, about every day I could get through about four trailers. I could, I could offload four trailers, get the stuff stacked into the warehouse. I made on average around $50 a trailer. If you're doing math, that's about 200 bucks a day for a 17-year-old kid. I thought I was balling, y'all. Like I thought I had it going on. I had, that was $1,000 a week for a high school kid. Just of, I thought I was killing it. Uh, I'd like to make, never mind. So, um, so I'm working at Cisco as a 17-year-old kid and this one particular day, though, I had a pretty unusual combination of items on the trailer. About half of the trailer was stacked with, with five-gallon buckets of pickles in juice. The other half of the trailer um, had a, a variety of items, one of which was boxes upon boxes upon boxes of powdered soap. Now, they told us as lumpers that we had access to any of the heavy equipment machinery, whether it be the pallet jacks or the forklifts, that we felt comfortable using. That we felt comfortable using. And if we didn't feel comfortable using these particular pieces of equipment, that we could wait for one of the hourly workers to come by or we could go find an hourly worker who drove a forklift or who knew how to operate a pallet jack and they would come and assist us. I was 17 years old. There's nothing I can't do. The world is my playground. There is nothing too hard for me to figure out. So in the section of, of pickles down the left-hand side of the trailer as I went in, the good thing about pickles is the buckets are huge, so you don't have to move many of them before you're done. And because they're buckets, you can stack pallets on top of pallets. It means you got to have a forklift to get them off. So I found a forklift with nobody on it. I drove it into the, bed, the, to the back of this trailer. And, you know, forklifts, they call them forklifts because they got forks. I don't know if you want to do that or not. Um, but I got these two pointy things on the end that are sharp. 
and, and forklifts are really powerful. So I drove the forklift, and it was one of those, if for any of you who have ever driven a forklift, if you don't know, they have some that you can drive like a car. Those are really easy to drive. The steering wheel, you turn left, it goes left. It's really easy. Not this one, though. This is one that you stand in, and if you want to turn left, you got to spin this little wheel thing to the right. And if you want to turn right, you got to spin it to the left. And it's really confusing because it's backwards. And so I get the forklift into the trailer, and I'm trying to get the forks lined up so I can take the stack of pickles off the top, move it off so I can get to the rest of the pickles because i got to unload all these pickles. All right? So I'm trying to get to all the pickles. Well, I turn the wrong way because, you know, left to go right and right to go left. I spin the forklift, and it busts one of the boxes of powdered soap. No problem. It's powdered soap. It's easy. However, when you spin the thing back the other way and you spin it back around, you hit the pickles and you knock the pickle bucket off the top. It falls. It explodes. I got pickle juice all over the place. I got pickle juice mixed with powdered soap. Now I just got soap that smells like pickles, which is gross. And I have a forklift that I can't get out of the trailer because it's on top of soap. So I find a friend, not lipless, another friend, who knew how to drive a forklift. And we hook a chain to the forklift, and one forklift pulls out. He got to drive one with the steering wheel. It was unfair, totally unfair. So we find a forklift. We pull the forklift out. But now I have a problem. Because I got a truckload full of boxes and buckets of pickles that I have to get off. I can't take in a forklift, and I can't take in a pallet jack. Because the floor is covered in soap and pickles. So one bucket at a time of pickles. Now, have you guys ever seen the pregnant woman waddle? Like the eight-and-a-half-month pregnant woman waddle, right? She kind of walks like this. All right. So I did that for seven hours, carrying five-pound buckets of pickles one at a time, slipping and falling the whole time because I can't walk on soap any better than a pallet jack or four lifts can drive on soap. So I'm slipping and falling. I'm covered head to toe in pickle juice and soap. I don't smell very good. My clothes are ruined. I mean, you don't wear good clothes to go work in a warehouse anyway, so I wasn't too worried about the clothes. But I'm covered all the way up to my waist in pickle juice and soap. And in a day where I was supposed to make about $200, I made less than 50 because I only unloaded one truck and called it a day. It was supposed to take me about two and a half, maybe three hours, and then I would have moved on to the next truck. So the driver who was sitting in his truck patiently waiting for this 17-year-old lumper kid to finish his trailer so he can go to wherever he's got to go and pick up the next trailer he's got to pick up, he comes into the warehouse and starts using colorful language, to put it mildly, and the whole time, I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I didn't make as much money as I was supposed to make. I got a guy that's yelling at me, and he's angry because he's not going to make as much money as he was supposed to make. And I'm covered in pickle juice and soap. Now, for a lot of you, my story sounds a lot like your life right now, doesn't it? You rushed in, maybe you tried to accomplish something that you didn't have any business trying to accomplish. Maybe you ignored sound advice or help from a friend. Maybe you got in over your head. Maybe you made a big mess. And you're angry. And you're frustrated. The people around you are angry, are angry and frustrated. 
and you don't know what to do next. You don't even really know where to start. Because that's a whole lot of buckets of pickles that got to come off a truck. And you don't know what to do. Last week, we said that all of us know what it feels like to be in a mess. But we said that it's the mess that unites us because the fact that I have a mess and I know that you have a mess makes me a whole lot more empathetic about your mess because I understand my own. We, we said that it's the mess that brings us together and it's the mess that brings God near because God wants to, to meet us in our mess and engage with us in our mess. But here's, here's what I want to do this week. I want to make this very personal because not only does every mess have the potential to bring God near, but your mess has the potential to bring God near to you. Let's ignore all the other messes for a moment and just think about the mess that you're in or the mess that you were in or the mess that you're going to be in because that's just the nature of life. It's, it's messy. And if we're not in a mess now, there's certainly one on the horizon. Your mess has the potential to bring God near to you. Now, the most famous verse in all of Scripture is John 3.16. Even people who don't go to church and don't even own a Bible know that John 3.16 says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life and not perish. Like that's the, that's the gist of the verse. I don't think I even quoted one version specifically there. But that's the general idea that God loved the world so much that he sent his son that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life through Christ. But the next verse, the very next verse, John 3.17, and it doesn't get nearly as much play, but I think it might be just as significant. And this is what it says. John chapter 3, verse 17. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That Jesus came not to condemn, but to save. Not to condemn, but to save. Let's say that together. Not to condemn, but to save. One more time. Not to condemn, but to save. You see, God did not send his son Jesus to the earth to get in the faces of all the messy people and to say, do you, do you realize what a mess you've made? Do you realize what a mess your marriage is? Do you realize what a mess your finances are? Do you realize what a mess your relationships are? Do you realize what a mess your kids are? Do you realize what a mess your job is? Do, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't send him to come and to get into your face and to, to punish you and to beat up on you for all the messes that you've made. But rather that you might be saved by and through him. And can we, can we just do the honesty thing for a minute? Can we be honest? That most of the messes, not all. Not all the messes, but most of the messes that we find ourselves in, didn't we do it to ourselves? We ignored some advice. We brushed off some, some wise counsel. We rushed in. We got ahead of ourselves. We got in over our heads. We've, we tend to create a lot of our own messes. And when we do, whether you've been a Christian for a long time or whether you're not a Christian, one of the things that we tend to do or we can feel like to do is to feel like God is punishing us because God is angry at us, that God is condemning us for the mess that we've made. But John 3.17 says that Jesus didn't come to the world to condemn the world, but to save it. 
Here's what I want us to see. When it comes to the messes that we make, it's really easy to mistake consequences for condemnation. That the consequences of the mistake that you made are going to be there regardless. That you're gonna, if you make a mess, you've got to clean up the mess. There's still a mess. There's going to be consequences when we have missteps, when we make mistakes. But your consequences are not God's condemnation. That is not God punishing you for the mess that you've made. Because God didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it through Jesus, his son. And when you read the Gospels, you see this show up over and over and over again. I'll give you just four instances. Number one, Jesus is in the temple teaching one day. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they bring in this woman who's been caught in the act of adultery. In the very act, Scripture says. Caught in the very act of adultery. And they're asking Jesus what he wants to do with them. They're trying to trick him. It's this whole story thing. But Jesus has a, a long conversation with her accusers. And they had every right to accuse her. Because she had, she had wrecked not just one marriage. If she was married, then she's, she's destroyed not only her marriage, but she's destroyed another's marriage. She's been caught in the very act. She's got no place to hide. She's caught red-handed. So Jesus confronts her accusers. And the Bible tells us that they go away. And so then he has a conversation with this woman. And he says to her, look at me. L- look at me. And he says, I do not condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. I don't condemn you. There's another instance where Jesus is walking through the streets of a town and he sees a Pharisee in a tree. You know, it's not something you see every day, a Pharisee hung up at a tree. But here he is, Jesus is walking along. There's a man named Zacchaeus and he's, the Bible tells he was short in stature, so he's up in a tree so that he can get a good look at Jesus. And, and this man had made a mess of his life too. He was a tax collector. He was one of the most hated people in all of society, specifically in the, the community in which he resided. He was absolutely hated because he had made his wealth and enriched his life by taking advantage of and exploiting those that were part of his community. Can you imagine how hated someone like that would be? He had made an absolute mess. Everybody, imagine being hated by everyone. But he still desired to see Jesus. And as Jesus is walking through these streets and he sees Zacchaeus up in the tree, he says, come down to, to me. Come down to me. We're going to go to your house and you're going to have dinner. The scripture goes on to tell us that Zacchaeus is so radically changed by his, by his encounter with Jesus that that he pays all of the people back everything that he had stolen with interest and even more interest than the law required because of his interaction with Jesus. Jesus didn't condemn him. Jesus changed him. He gave him a new purpose, a new outlook, and a new way to do business. And he gave him back access to his community. Another time, Jesus is in a place where Jews weren't even supposed to be. He finds himself in the, the area of, of Samaria beside of a well in the heat of the day, which would have been the complete wrong time for anybody else to be there. But there he is, and there's also a woman there. And Jesus looks at her and has a conversation with her, and they're having this, this theological debate. And Jesus says, yeah, let me tell you something. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and call your husband. And she's like, oh, I'm not married. He's like, I know, you've had five husbands. And the dude that you're shacking up with now, my, my word's not his. The dude that you're shacking up with now, he's not your husband either. And she's like, oh, I see that you're a prophet. And then she starts asking him all these questions. All these questions. 
And in this scenario where a Jewish man who would have never talked to a woman, much less a Samaritan woman, and much less a Messiah talking to a woman who has a lifestyle of promiscuity and bad decisions. These two people couldn't have been any further apart on the scale of society. There was no reason for them to even have an interaction. Yet Jesus reaches out to her and he says to her, come close to me. And I'll give you the living water, so that you'll never thirst again. At the end of his life, Jesus meets another man. And this man was such a terror and menace to the society in which he lived that he couldn't even be trusted in a jail cell. The only purpose that still existed for this man's life was for him to be made a spectacle and to set an example for all the other wrongdoers in the, the land. And the only punishment suitable for this man was to find himself nailed to a Roman cross next to Jesus. And the man says, I believe that you are who you say that you are. And Jesus looks at this man destined to die on a Roman cross. And he says, you're coming with me. Yeah, we can clap for that. And the thing that all of these people who had made giant messes of their life have in common with you is the way out of their mess. The thing that is more significant and powerful enough to get you out of your mess, Jesus offers to them and he offers to each of us that find ourselves in a mess. And here's what it is. Jesus offers himself. Look at me. Come down to me. You're coming with me. Come close to me. Jesus offers himself. Shortly after the encounter with the woman caught in adultery, after Jesus tells her that, he's not, that she's not condemned, it says that he turns back to the crowd and he says this, John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. I can show you the way out of your mess. If you are in a mess, maybe even in the biggest mess of your life today, there's a lot of darkness around you, isn't there? When we get in those messes that we feel like there's no way out, we don't know which way is up or down or left or right, we're so confused, we don't know what to do next. There's a lot of darkness that feels like a very dark place. And Jesus says, I am the light. I'm the light of the world and I can show you the way out of your mess. And he tells us how. He says, whoever follows me. Let's stop for a minute. Let's do that honesty thing again. Can we just be honest with ourselves that in that moment of deepest regret, in that moment of your greatest disappointment, your biggest mess, you weren't following Jesus when you got into it, were you? I know that I wasn't. Whether it was an addiction, maybe you had an argument with family that led to uh, a falling out. Maybe it was an abusive relationship. Maybe there was a friend that you hurt. Maybe it was a lie that you told. And then another lie to, to cover up that one because that's the nature of lies. Whatever it was, whatever that thing is that maybe you covered it up. 
Your biggest disappointment, your greatest regret. You weren't following Jesus when you got yourself in. Maybe you ignored your conscience. You had to talk yourself into it. Knew it was wrong and did it anyway. That's my story. And Jesus says, if you follow me, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Why? Because he's the light of the world. He is your way out. He offers you himself as your way out of the mess in which you found yourself. Now, I know what you want because I want the same thing when I find myself in a mess. I want a quick fix. I want triple A. I want to call somebody. They show up, help me out of my mess, shake my hand, and tell me, hey, I'll see you next time you need some help. That's not how it works. That's not how it works with Jesus. Because God's goal is not just to fix your mess. And to help you out and to get you back out. Because you don't know why. If we actually got the quick fixes that we go looking for, that oftentimes we'll find ourselves right back in the same kind of mess. Because when we get out that easily and with that much help, there's no incentive for us to stay away from the thing that got us there in the first place. When there's always a quick fix, we'll never get out. And it's not the nature of a father anyway. To just clean up our messes. God's, God is not as important as concerned with your behavior. Behavior is important. The way we act and the way that we behave, it's important. It matters. It's significant. Don't hear me say that it's not. But the thing that is more important to your heavenly father is not your behavior but your relationship with him. I I see that in my own life because I would rather have imperfect children that love me than perfect children that want nothing to do with me. Behavior is not the end goal of God but relationship. And relationship takes time because it's a process. Relationship doesn't happen overnight. And God desperately desires to be in a relationship with those that he loves. And Jesus says, if you want a relationship, if you want your way out of the mess, then you got to follow the light out of your dark place. The decision to become a follower of Christ can be made in a moment. But actually following Christ is a process. When Jesus was teaching during what we know to be the Sermon on the Mount, he's kind of drawing to the end of it, and he he makes these statements about following him. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. I've read those verses a hundred times, but something stuck out to me as I studied it again, and it was this one word in verse 24. It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who did what? Who, who, Who built Do you know what building something takes? Time. To build something is a process. To build is a a long-term, day-in, day-out process until something is completed. And we know that we'll never complete that on this side of eternity. Following Christ, being in a relationship with him is a process. But it's a process that's worth it. 
because there is no quick fix to your mess, the one you are in or the one that you're going to be in. There's no quick fix. Yeah, you can write this down. Here, here's a bottom line for today. You cannot pray your way out of a mess that you behaved your way into. You can't do it. There's no magic bullet. There's no mystical prayer. There's no enchanted words. There's no incantation. There is nothing that you can say. You cannot pray your way out of a mess that you've behaved your way into. And it's not that God doesn't care about your mess. It's not that God doesn't care, right? Because we just agreed, I hope that you agree with me, that we weren't following Jesus when we got into whatever mess we found ourselves into most of the time particularly as it pertains to the biggest mess of our life. And for a lot of you, your biggest mess hasn't happened yet. You're going to need this. You cannot pray your way out of a mess that you behaved your way into. But you can follow your way out of a mess that you behaved your way into. What you need is a light to lead you out of the darkness of your mess. When I think about this idea of Jesus who came not to condemn, but to save, to save if we'd follow, I kind of get this idea in my head of Jesus waiting into my mess to find me where I am and if I'll agree to follow he'll lead me out it's kind of like we, we, we said uh, last week that all of us are a mess right didn't we agree like all of us we, we've all got mess right we're all a mess all of us but I get this picture excuse me excuse me, of Jesus who will just wade his way, pushing past, knocking stuff over, maybe if he has to, because that's, will you follow me? Thank you. But Jesus will wade his way into our mess. And if we'll have the courage to follow, because she didn't know I was going to do this, so she's like, I don't know what we're going. If we'll have the courage to follow him, how will make you stand in the light? How about that? He'll lead us out. That he'll wade into the mess to find you where you are. And if you'll follow, he'll lead you out. You can't pray your way out. You can't behave your way out. You can't pay your way out or tithe your way out or do mission trip to get your way out. No, you follow. So the question that stands before each and every one of us this morning is will you follow? Now for a lot of us in the room, we've, we've had a relationship with Jesus for a while now. And I know that it's, it's pretty easy to, to get complacent. It's pretty easy to forget. It's pretty easy to think that we're pretty awesome because we tend to do that. We tend to think very highly of ourselves. And it's that exact kind of thinking that often finds us in a mess. And it's in that moment, even with all that we've heard and all that we've read and every encounter that we've ever had with God, that we have this conversation. God, 
Why are you doing this to me? Why are you punishing me? Why am I in this mess? What have I done to make you so angry? Why are you condemning me? And God would say to you this morning, oh, I didn't come to condemn you. I came to save you. And the mess that you're in might just be the one that it takes to arrange the meeting where God would wade in so that he can lead you out. Sometimes it takes the mess to arrange the meeting. But God wants to meet you where you are so that he can lead you out. Because you can't do anything to get yourself out of your mess, but you can follow him out of it. For others of you in the room today, it's not about forgetting what you have in a relationship with Jesus, but finding one. Because you've been in a mess or you're in a mess. And if you don't have a relationship with Christ this morning, here's what I know is true about you. you you're going to have a really, really, really impossible time trying to find your way out of your mess. Because when you're in the darkness, you need a light. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And if you don't have Jesus, you don't have a light. You're stuck. This would be my, my challenge to you this morning. Would you commit to follow? You don't have to know everything about them. You don't have to have all the answers. All you have to do is to believe that Jesus is the light of your world and the way out of your mess is through him. And if that's a decision that you'd make this morning, I wanna help you because this could be the moment where you decide to become a Christ follower so that you can begin the process of following Christ. And it takes a lifetime, but it's so worth it because Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Would you bow your heads? Father, this morning for those of us in the room that knows what it feels like to be in a mess. God, I pray that today that thought will become very personal to us as we embrace the truth that God, the, our way out of the mess is different than the way that we got in. We didn't get into it because we were following you, but Jesus, you are our way out. So Jesus, we thank you for coming to this world. We thank you for the truth that you did not come to point out my mess and to make me feel bad about my mess and to beat up on me because of my mess. But Jesus, you came to save me from it. And I don't know how any of us in the room got into the mess that we're in or how we will get into the mess that's coming. But Jesus, what I do know to be true this morning is that whatever got us in is not the same thing that'll get us out because we weren't following you when we went in, but Jesus, you are our way out. So we look to you because we know how desperately you care for those of us in our mess. You died not to condemn, but to save. So Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. And God, for those here this morning that don't have a relationship with you, Father, I pray that in this moment you would press in. That your 
presence would be so powerful in their heart and on their mind that in this moment, God, they would decide, I need a way out. I need a Savior. And I'm so grateful that, that this Savior that that guy up there on the stage is talking about doesn't come to condemn me, but that he came to save me. So I'm going to put my hope and my faith and my trust not in my ability to get myself out of my mess, but in the ability of Jesus to lead me out if I'll make the decision to follow. And if that's your decision this morning, would you just tell him about that in this moment? Maybe your prayer would sound something like this. Jesus, I'm in a mess. I know it. I didn't get here by following you, but I believe that I can get out of it by following you. And it might take some time and there might be some consequences, but I know that that offer comes without condemnation. So Jesus, right now, I choose to follow you. Father, for all those that prayed that prayer this morning, God, I pray that you would just create in them a new heart, a new spirit, as they embrace the journey, the process of following your son, Jesus. It's in his name I pray.